0: Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting SPARKSWillFly as one word, APP to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. Man, let's go to Malachi, Malachi chapter 4. I want to read a couple of verses here. As you turn there, we just go by faith here. I just keep feeling this, and I could be wrong, but I feel like, is uh, is there anyone having trouble in your sleep? I just feel like, like some nightmares, or anybody experiencing that? Nightmares in your sleep? Stand up right here if that's you. I just feel like there's a grace right here just to receive the peace of God. Father, we just thank you. Come on, stretch your hands towards him. Just say peace. Father, we speak peace. My, I feel it right there. Mm. My God, I feel the Lord just come in this room. Father, we speak over their mind that you've given them a sound mind. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. We release it right now to them. Right now, peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Let them rest in the goodness of God. In the peace of God. We speak great sleep over them. In the name of Jesus. And we command that tormenting spirit to go now in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise for that. Amen. Malachi, the fourth chapter. Malachi, chapter four. Um, I want to share something this morning. I, I want to talk about fathers, but how many knows that when I talk about fathers, I'm not just talking about men. I'm talking about, um, I just, um, I'm talking about fathers and mothers in this. I guess when I dress fathers, I am talking about men, but I'm talking about it's not just limited to men. It's, I just what I got on my heart is about um, people of influence taking their place, and just I'll get it all out directly. But listen, uh, Wednesday night, uh, if your kid left here on Wednesday night and went home and told you something crazy about the children's church, I had to call Steve because I used his grandson uh, Wednesday night. The last two Wednesday nights, I've been over in the Ignite Room. Uh, Larry and Caleb been teaching uh, in here on prayer. And so uh, Stanton had 61 in his class, and me and Zach had 36 where is that you know okay all uh, right he had 30 he, we had 36 or the third I think it was 36 how many knows that's a lot of that's a lot of youngins over there in that building so um we 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 had a good time and so I taught on children I taught the the children the ignite age and so one of the things that we've been talking about is the heart and so I come up with this uh little creative uh illustrated sermon and so um I didn't think about it or whatever, but I had my knife about this long, Danny, like a, like a machete, you know what I'm saying? And I was talking about the heart and I went and got me two little pieces of sirloin about this big, you know, and I blackened one of the sirloins and one of them was raw. And I took and took some finesse uh, trick worms and run it all through the heart and had this ugly looking heart. And so I told the kids I was going to be able to see what was in the heart. And one of the little kids asked, you know, how are you going to do that? I said, can we fixed a new surgery? And I pulled that knife out and scared them all. So, but anyhow, it ended on a high note. And so, um, but, but one of the things about it, is Steve said on the way home that Nate said, I sure hope my heart don't look like that one with all the worms in it. So I told him how to get a good heart and uh, we had a good time over there. But God, I'm telling you, the Lord's doing amazing things, uh, with these kids, uh, you know, you, you had to be on your P's and Q's, but but I'm telling you this. For the most part, most of them are ready to learn. Amen? All right. So let's go to Malachi, Malachi chapter 4. I want to share a few things with you this morning, and I'm good. Thank you, Alimak. All right. Let's go to Malachi chapter 4, and where we want to start reading is in verse 4. It says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commended him in Horeb. For all of Israel, with the statutes and the judgments. Look at verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Let's read it again. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come strike the earth with a curse. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to help me today, Lord. Let me preach good. Open the ears of the hearer and let us leave this place encouraged today in Jesus' name. How many knows that a lot of the things that we see in the media, you know, bureaucracy is kind of like this. It's like setting up scaffolding up beside a building to paint a building and instead of painting the building for 25 years we work on the scaffolding how many knows that some of the issues that we're facing in america lies at the root of fatherlessness now let me just say what i want to go after this morning because this is a subject that is a big deal on my heart that i've studied for some length of time but but one of the things i want to go after this morning is i think like that one of the things we do is we say like well pastor john he's a father we we've did this thing of spiritual fathering Well, he's a spiritual father and though I may be a spiritual father to some doesn't mean I am to all but let me just say this i believe if we put the mark on me as me being the spiritual father that we've missed the intended mark that i believe god wants to raise up mothers and fathers all throughout this body all throughout this community not where there's one father but there's many fathers are you with me now and so in this that uh, in this malachi is addressing that in the last days that the spirit of Elijah, one of the tasks that he's going to do <clears throat> is there's going to be a prophetic movement into the earth that will begin to turn the hearts of the fathers back into the children. And the children back into the fathers lest he smite the earth with a curse. Now this is, listen to this, I'm just going to give you a few statistics here. There's a, there, there's a father absence crisis in America. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, more than one in four, live without a father in the home. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all social ills facing America today. There's a four times greater risk of that child that is fatherless living in poverty. Seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely to suffer obesity, two times more likely to drop out of high school. There's 2 million motherless homes in America, but there's 10 million fatherless homes in America. Now, let me just say that with a deficit like that, I don't believe that burden falls on the federal government to learn how to become fathers. I believe the problem lies at the foot of the church. Come on, y'all. So I believe that our task in that is to become a father to the fatherless, to become a mother to the motherless. Now, we know that in, in just some of the children that we're dealing with over here on Wednesday night, Many, uh, you know, one of the things that I told Stanton was we're not going to run a babysitting service, but listen to this, that a lot of these kids just need a grown man that I've just watched them. I watched them with like with Terry and with others. They just need a grown man to just speak encouragement into their life. Are you with me? When I was a little boy uh, playing baseball, I was amazed at how many dads that I seen at the ball field. It doesn't take but to go to a spring rec season down here at the Cook County facilities and see how many single moms are down here with their kids trying to get them to play baseball. It's amazing how many 12 year olds have never picked up a ball and glove and that, that, that don't even know how to throw because dad's not in the, in the picture to walk out with a ball and glove. I'm not going to preach doom and gloom. I believe that there's an answer here, okay? Now, let's, let's look at this. Now, Paul is going to address this issue when it comes to the church. Let's go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I've got a video that I want to play that's about 12 minutes I debated on whether I'm not go- I'm going to show this or not but to me it drives the point home and you more happen to get it if you see it and hear it First Corinthians chapter 4 uh, look at verse um, 14. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you for though you may have 10,000, look at this, 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the, through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. We need believers in the church that we can look to that can imi- that we can imitate their life. Come on, how many knows this? It's one thing what you preach, but it's another thing what you live. And we can only impart who we are. You you can't you listen, we can impart information, but it won't change anybody's life. When we can impart who we are into someone, it will change their life. That's why Jesus was able to feed so many. He took his life and broke it into 12 men. This is why there were 12 baskets taken up. This is the 12 men that he had put his life into that he was gonna leave behind to feed many. Are you with me now? So it's not what I it's not necessarily just what I preach, but Paul was saying we got a lot of people that. that that can instruct the body, but we have few people inside the body that are fathers and mothers that we can imitate their life. God help us in this issue. Don't do as I say, but do as I do. Listen, he says we got many, many teachers Many teachers that can give information, but we have few fathers and mothers that we can imitate their life. Now, I want to go into a few things that I believe fathers do. Number one, we've talked about this a great deal, but fathers release identity. The reason why we have an identity crisis in America and in the church is it is no other issue than the lack of fathers in the church because fathers give their children identity. Mama may give the kisses, but dad tells them who they are. It's one thing for mama to say something. How many knows it's a whole nother level when dad speaks up? Come on, y'all. We got about 45 minutes left on this ride. We might as well enjoy it. You with me? And look at this in Matthew chapter 3. Father's release identity. Father's release identity. Matthew chapter 3. Look at this verse of scripture. In Matthew chapter 3. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him, then, then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus come up immediately from him, from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And alighting upon him and suddenly, listen this, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus heard the audible voice of God twice and the two times he heard it, God was releasing his identity into him. God was not calling him deliverer. Come on somebody. He wasn't calling him a healer. He wasn't calling him all of the things that he was destined to do. What he called him was, you are my beloved son in whom I take great delight. When we hear this over our lives from fathers, it settles an identity issue in us that will cause us to go from striving to a place of rest. That will cause us to work from approval not for approval. My God, that's good. If we can learn how to rest in the Lord and work from approval knowing that God has already approved us. Listen, if you are a believer in this room Colossians says God has already approved us. We are seated with him in heavenly places. We're not trying to go to heaven this morning. We've already arrived baby. Come on somebody. And we are to live from that place. Fathers constantly speak this over us. He did not want Jesus basing his relationship with him by what he was doing. He simply said, this is my beloved son. I love the passion translation. Who I take great delight in. When we don't hear that When we have no fathers in our life and we have no fathers in the church that sees and recognize the gift, it causes us to move in envy, jealousy, and strive trying to reach the position that God says we already have. Fathers identify these things and speak it over the life of their children. Are you with me now? Listen and all of us come all of us didn't come from the greatest of places, OK? But just how you start doesn't determine that, that doesn't matter. You, that doesn't mean that that's your destination. Are you with me now? I'm talking about us reaching up, calling people up to their place. Are you with me now? All right. Now, we've got to learn how to serve from the place of identity. Let's look at this in John chapter 13. Look at how this affected Jesus' life. And how he operated and did what he did. In John chapter 13. In John chapter 13. Hello. John chapter 13. Look at this. I'm going to read in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus look at this, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Look at this. Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and, had given, and, and that he had come from God and he was going to God. How did this get solidified in his life when God spoke to him and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, whom I have great delight in. When he did this, this settled the issue in Jesus' life, knowing that all things had been given to him and that he had came from God and that he was going back to God. When this was settled in his heart now, says he rose from supper and lay aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. This is the place that we serve from. We serve from the place of identity knowing that we are his and he's given us all things. Y'all, this is good. That means any depravity that I see in front of me, God has an answer for it. Any situation that seems beyond my control, God has an answer for it. And I serve from the place of knowing that he's given all things into my hands. All things belong to me. He has graciously given me all things that pertain to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. He hath already blessed us, is what Ephesians says. We're not looking to be blessed. We've already been blessed, friend. If you drove to this church in in an air-conditioned vehicle and got a roof over your head, you are amongst the wealthiest people on the face of the planet. We have already been blessed. This is already taking place. When Jesus died on the cross, God settled what he thought about you, friend. Regardless of how you're living this morning, he's not upset with you. He He provided an antidote for your sin issue called the cross. So this is settled. When this identity comes within us, we will serve from the place of approval, not for approval. That means nobody is trying to step on nobody to get to the front because we're all at the front. Come on, y'all. This settles the issue of who's going to be greatest. We're all great. We're all the apple of his eye. We're all on the front page of his paper. Come on, somebody. Listen, this settles this issue in our heart of identity. Fathers see this and they begin to call that out inside their children. Now let me just go to this. Number two, fathers release encouragement. If there's ever a day that the church needs to walk in learning how to give encouragement, it is today. With all the stuff that's, listen, it don't take long to sit down and watch the news to get in discouragement. But what you got to understand is heaven's economy moves on this little thing called encouragement. According to Psalms 103, when the angels hear the prophetic words of encouragement, they're released on assignment. Think about this. Encourage means to impart courage. All right, now let's look at this. Some of y'all are like, man, Lord, I'll say something in a minute. Think about this. Little kid walks to the plate. I love the game of baseball. I watched the Braves in the 14 innings the other night. They tried, to, they tried to throw it away about eight times, but they came through. We believe in big for them this year, okay? I'm a Braves fan. I was a Braves fan when Dale Murphy was the only thing that they had. You know what I'm saying? I love the game of baseball. There's nine innings. There's nine gifts of the Spirit. Come on, somebody. Nine men on the field. It's God's game. I love everything about it. Little kid walks to the plate. He's nervous. But I've watched it with my own three boys because all of them play the game. But I can. Asher being the youngest, he can walk up to the plate, but as soon as he hears my voice, he perks up. Come on, son. Come on, son. The encouragement that comes from us. Now let's look at what the Bible says about our talk. We dealt with this in the children's church room, but we need to deal with it, keep dealing with it in here. How many knows that there's power of life and death in your tongue? And the Bible says that our worlds are framed by our language. Come on, somebody. We are eating the fruit today of the words we spoke yesterday. Mm -mm -mm. If you don't like the diet that you are eating, you got to change the way you talk. Come on, somebody. The Bible says that there's power of life and death in this tongue. You and I have great power, and we are creating something every day. And the Bible says that those who love it will eat the fruit of that. So we've got to allow our talk to line up with what we believe. Come on, somebody. We've got to learn how to speak over one another with edifying words of encouragement to impart courage. How many knows this? When someone gets saved, if they battle the life of addiction. I've watched this over and over. Someone gets saved, by the life of addiction, three weeks later they fall. Especially in some churches, this is what we hear. Well, I know they didn't have it to start with. I believe this, once they got it, they got it. Come on, somebody. Now we got to do what the Bible says. The Bible says in John 16, when you fall he comes to convince you of righteousness. That's God what he's saying about you. God's always speaking to your potential. He don't speak to you in the mud hole. Come on somebody. He's always throwing the ladder rope down to where you at to pull you out of the miry clay to where he says you're at. What if we as a church took people that struggled instead of reminding them of their past and reminding them of their sin, we learn how to speak courage over them. My God I see you as the mighty man. I used this story on Wednesday night with Graham Cook when he showed up at the church and he said he's seen this, he prophesied over this guy. And he says, I see you as a gentleman. And the whole church gasped, Oh my God, I can't. And, and, and so later on after the service, they went into the green room and the pastor said, You know, uh, Brother Graham, I love you. You're a great prophet, but I'm gonna tell you, you missed it over that man. That man, everybody in the church knows he's a mean man, he beats his wife. This joker's mean. And he said, what you did was just destroy two years of pastoral counsel. He said, "Well, let me just ask you this: Did I, just, you said, out of your own mouth for two years, you haven't gotten anywhere with him? Did we just take? Did we destroy two years of counsel, or did God release a greater strategy of how to handle this man? Could it be that we need to quit trying to deal with his old man, which is what religion does? Religion tries to clean the old man up good enough so that he can be presented to God. God totally destroys the old man and always speaks to the new man. Come on, somebody." The Bible said, behold, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're a brand new creation in Christ. And you don't expect a brand new baby that is born at South Georgia Medical to be ready to go to college the next day. But this is how we handle it in the church. Come on, somebody. The Bible says they are a babe in Christ. As long as the babe is nourished with milk and tender love from the flock of God, come on, somebody, they will grow up and become mature. So." This is the counsel they release. They take a man that's a mean man. And they said, but God said, Graham said, all I know is God said the man was gentle. So they take and everybody in the church begins to write this man a letter. Every day he goes to the mailbox. He opens this letter. Name is John. Dear John, you are a gentle man. You are a very gentle man. This is what God says about you. Two years later, Graham comes back to the church. Guy runs up to him and says, you remember me? He said, I'm sorry, you know, I just don't remember you. He said, I am the gentle man. And his wife comes up to him and says, I cannot even believe that this is the man I married. He is so gentle. What happened? He started believing what God said about him. This is the power of encouragement when people of influence begin to speak into your life. Oh my God, that's good. Now let's look at this. Go to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Let us have an altar call. Let no corrupt word proceed. Proceed out of your mouth. I just had a thought, but I'm going to let that go. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. You go up there to heart as they said. can you pull to the white line? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. You know, I said that in here the next seven times I went through heart as they told me to pull through the, to the white line. So you know what, I started to say, God, I thank you every time I go to Hardy's. they know I'm coming and they got my meal fixed before I even get there. And then they started handing it out the window. You with me? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace, look at this, grace to the here. This is crazy you know what this verse is saying? It means the grace of God that is on my life, I can impart it through my speech to another person. Grace is not only unmerited favor, Grace is the operational power of God. This is the same thing that happened to the mean man that became the gentleman. When Graham prophesied over him, he released the grace into his life that you're a gentleman. I don't care where you've been living your life. God said you're a gentleman. Look at this. Let no corrupt words uh, proceed out of your mouth, but what is good necessary for edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. You have a way to influence someone all, all that, with your, what is on your life through your speech to another person. It's crazy we're up here preaching about learning how to talk to each other. But we got to learn how to talk to each other. When we see the person struggling, don't remind them of the struggles. And we talked about the word accountability. We all need accountability. And and most of us have, the thing that we think about accountability is if you, whatever you're struggling with, whether it's whatever the struggle is, is you find you someone to be accountable to to keep you from doing that. I want to suggest you will never win the battle that type of way. But if you find someone that knows your account, are you with me now? Oh, he must have got something. Y'all. <laughs> Let me tell you this. This happened. Few... This happened at Church of God Church, not far from where we live. You know, today's time when they take children out of church, you carry them out and walk, look at the vehicles and birds and stuff. That When we were little, you didn't go out and look at nothing like that. You're praying for your life. You're just getting beat down. Man, come on. <laughs> here come the hate mail right here. Listen to me, huh? This is little boy. This is it. This is a church of God church in Lutowice. Parents get up. Daddy takes him up. As he's walking down the aisle, little boy hollers out, church, pray. <laughs> Lord of mercy. Listen here. Accountability. Accountability is you have people in your life that knows the ability that's in your account. It's you have people in your life that knows the ability in your account. So when we see you living beneath your what? Ability. We're coming to show up into your life and say, man, you're you're way better than that. Come on, y'all. Let's just deal with this right here. We try to deal with sin by scaring people to stop doing it. You will never, you will never scare someone away from doing it. How many members? When I hate to break it down, but we was in middle school when I was in school. You had something called sex education. They showed you images up there that would scar you for life. But how many knows that never stopped you from breaking the rule when you got older because hormones overrode your fear? We will never get people to quit sinning by trying to scare them. You stop because of love. So we know what's in our account. Proverbs 23, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint and run wild. What calls you to live a constrained life is you have vision for your life. What causes you to say no is the vision. The bodybuilder that wants a body, come on somebody, says no to the sweet tea and to the dessert at the table and to the carbohydrates. You can tell that's a weakness in my life. Are you with me now? But listen, what constrains the bodybuilder from saying no is not that he don't love sweet tea. And it's not that he doesn't like the sweets. And it's not that he doesn't enjoy some mashed potatoes with a little gravy on it. What constrains him is the vision that is etched in his mind of having a physique. This is what vision. So accountability has to be a nucleus of people that knows what's in your account. It is not like a chain to keep you from going somewhere. It's to remind you of the future God has for you. Now, we can impart, listen to this, you can impart grace with your speech or you can tear people down. You with me now? Isaiah chapter 35. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 35. We're close there. I don't have but 17 points. But I feel like the Lord told me don't preach but 16 of them, okay? And we're on point two. Look at this. Isaiah 35, verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. This is hope. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. How are we going to do that? Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong. Look at this. This is, this, is, this is believers, people of influence, with the power of their speech. How do you strengthen feeble hands and weak knees? Say to the fearful what? Be strong. This is how you impart courage. Be strong. Do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Now, look at the evidence of speaking over their life in this type of language. Go to verse 5 and 6. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. How are they going to be opened? By the power of the speech that we release over, their, over them. Be strong. Be strong. Say to the fearful heart, Be strong. Be of good courage. My God, you're a mighty man. My God, I'm telling there's a strong anointing on your life. Be strong. Boy, I feel God in this room right here if we learn how to talk to each other like this and quit calling out each other's weaknesses and failures and backbiting, come on, somebody. This is a backbiting community. I can tell you that right now. Come on, somebody. But if we would learn how to stop backbiting against each other and talking about each other and learn how to say, be of good courage, be strong. My God, we'd see something turn around next week. Be strong, then the eyes of the blind shall open and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Verse six, the lame shall leap like a deer. What's happening? People start believing what fathers and mothers are saying about them. And the tongue of the dumb sing for the water shall birth forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. Now, let's move right here. So what is my job? My job is to speak with encouragement over someone else's life. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Y'all right? 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul with his young spiritual son, Timothy. Look at how he's talking to him. He says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example for the believers, don't let no one despise your youth. There's no little Holy Ghost or a big Holy Ghost. Come on. With a little Holy Spirit, big Holy Spirit, there's just Holy Spirit. Let no one despise your youth. But look what he says. But be an example. Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, and in faith, in purity. Look at this. Let's Till I come, give attention to the reading, to the exhortation of the doctrine. Keep going. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Who was there doing the laying on of hands? Paul was himself with the Presbytery team, laying hands on young Timothy. Look what he says. He says, Don't let I know that you're young. He, he's talking to a struggling son that he left in charge of the greatest move, of, of the greatest work that he's seen accomplished, which is Ephesus. And Timothy is now the pastor of that church. Paul's left him in charge. He said, I know you're young. Let nobody nobody despise your youth now. But I want you to be an example. I want you to stay continually in the word and in the doctrine. And hey, don't you ever neglect the gift that is within you. I saw it firsthand with my eyes. My God, I feel the Lord. Because he knew that young preacher was going to get to doubt himself at times. And Paul was addressing that issue. Don't you ever doubt who you are. I saw it with my own eyes. I was there the night we prayed. I was there when we were laying hands. And the word of prophecy come forth. Don't you neglect that gift that is within you. Oh my God. Keep on. Bring it back up right here. Do not neglect the gift that is within you, which was given to you by prophecy, by the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Go on. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, I will probably not, if I show the video right here, it's going to take a little time. But this is a great video, and this will drive this point home. Now, let me tell you about this video before I even show it. How many knows who Jack Buck is? How many knows who the great Jack Buck is? Raise your hand. Oh, my. Hey, raise it proud because you won the few in here. How many knows who Joe Buck is? Oh, we don't have no sports people up in this room. Jack Buck was the voice. Let me just tell it to you like this. Jack Buck, go home. YouTube this. This is your homework. There's a YouTube story that's 12 minutes long. Search Jack Buck, the kid. It's an amazing story. If I play it, we're all going to cry. So let's leave it right here, okay? I'll tell you what it is, and then you watch it. Jack Buck was the voice of St. Louis Cardinals. He was the voice of the city. It's Joe Buck's dad. He's inducted into the Hall of Fame. In 1987, the Cardinals was rolling. Ozzy Smith was doing somersaults on the field. How many remember watching Ozzy Smith? Lord, if we ain't got no baseball fans in here, y'all come on now. Ozzy Smith was doing somersaults, and there was a kid named John O'Leary. How many's ever heard of John O'Leary? He's an entrepreneur, businessman, got a book called Seven Something on, Seven on Fire" or something like that. It's great. I've read the book. Um, great entrepreneurial businessman. John O'Leary lived 15 minutes from Bush Stadium. And in the summer of 1987 things was rolling good. Ozzy Smith was turning somersaults on the field. His parents was gone. He was 9 years old and his parents were gone and so he goes to the shed. And he went into his father's shed and he was going to get he wanted to burn this piece of cardboard. And so he thought if I if I want to get a fire started I need to take some gas that my dad puts in the mower and I'll get this fire started with the gas and I'm just going to burn this piece of cardboard. So it was, you remember, how many knows if you've been around a little bit, you know, remember the gas cans used to be the metal round can. And so he's got this metal round can and um, he goes to pour this, this gas onto this piece of cardboard that he had lit on fire. And before he could tilt it, the fumes sucked the fire down inside the can and the can exploded. Blew John O'Leary like 20 feet across the thing and he gets up, and he's covered in gas, and he's covered in fire, and he runs inside, and his brother is in there, and his brother gets him on the floor, gets the fire outed, ambulance comes, and he's rushed to the hospital, so when the news breaks, his parents find out what's going on, he's third degree burned on 80% of his body, images are kind of a little gruesome, that's why I maybe won't show it here, but anyhow, he... His mother goes in and says, does John have a 50-50% chance of making it? He said, ma'am, you don't understand. He's got less than a half percent to make it through the night. Well, this story gets out. It goes all all over St. Louis. John O'Leary lives through the night. And this story's out in the St. Louis. And Jack Buck finds out about this kid in the hospital. And Jack Buck walks into that room like on day two. And he's literally dying. John O'Leary's dying, and he's laying on a gurney. His body's burnt up. And Jack Buck walks in that room, and he says, "Kid, wake up!" And then John O'Leary's ears is burnt off nearly. About it. His hands has been amputated where the fires burn him up. And he hears a voice again saying, "Kid, get up." And he says, he knew because of his family was a, I mean, 15 minutes from Bush Stadium, you're a Cardinal fan. Are you with me now? He knew it was Jack Buck talking to him. And he says, kid, you're gonna live. Kid, you're gonna live. Wake up, you're gonna live. And this kid hears Jack Buck speaking to him and he starts believing that he can pull through this thing. Then he comes back and see. And, and, and he's progressing every day and he tells John O'Leary if you will get well enough to get out of this hospital we will hold John O'Leary Day at Bush Stadium and we will have your own day at Bush Stadium if you can get out of this hospital and that kid started working with everything he had and he gets out of the hospital and he goes to Bush Stadium and they have John O'Leary Day well, after, after having his hands amputated, he had to learn how to write. He had to learn how to walk. And, and so as he's going through this process, he gets a, he, his mom goes to the mailbox. And he's, you, you can see him. He's got like, look, like a crab claw, if you will. And, and so he, he's having to learn how to write. And he tells his mom, I, I just don't think I'll, I'll be, ever be able to write. And he open, his mom opens the mailbox, and there's a box. And he opens this box, and it's got on this baseball and it's a baseball signed by Ozzy Smith. And it says, good luck. Best of luck or something like that, Ozzy Smith. And then here's a letter that's signed, kid, if you want another baseball, all you got to do is write a letter of thank you back to Ozzie. He cries out to his mom and he says, mom, bring me a pen and paper. And this young kid starts scratching and he tells Ozzie, thank you. Then the next, the next box shows up at the house. He looks in there. It's a ball from Stan Musel. And he's, there's a letter and it says, kid, if you want another baseball, all you got to do is write a, a letter of thank you. That kid received over 60 baseballs that year. Signed by all of the Cardinal greats. And Jack Buck... When he was introduced into the Hall of Fame in his Hall of Fame speech, he talked about a kid that he that he knew back in St. Louis that had more grit than anybody he'd ever met. He said his name was John O'Leary, and John O'Leary received one more baseball that came from Jack Buck, and that was the clear baseball with his name engraved on it that he received after he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. My God, this is powerful, y'all. Listen to me. A man worked his entire life to go, and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. His son is a commentator for Fox Sports, Joe Buck. And Joe did not get that baseball. He gave it to John O'Leary. And at the end of that clip, John O'Leary is sitting with his son, with Jack's, Jack died in 2002. And they're sitting in the stadium, they're sitting in Bush Stadium, right in where the commentator sat, overlooking Bush Stadium, watching the Cardinals warm up. And John O'Leary looked at Joe Buck and he said, he said, what would Jack think about today? Joe, his son and John sitting in the thing. And he said, you know what? My dad would be proud. And he said, my dad would have a smile on his face. He said, not because I'm here, but because you're here, John. I want to tell you church this is what I got on my heart this morning. The power of influence that we have in people's lives when those kids come on this property on Wednesday night to have no dad in the house. How we conduct ourselves yes is there behavioral issues yes we can deal with that but we have the power to influence a generation by the words in which we speak over them. If we speak they're not going to be nothing they hear that all the time. We got to have a church that can see through the darkness and say I see great things inside of your life. Come Come on kid come on kid be what God said you was God says you're great God says you're amazing he sent his son to die on the cross to set you free of any addiction that you have in your life that's good preaching listen this fathers are not selfish if you want to break selfishness off of your life have a kid the word diaper spelled backwards means repaid there is nothing that can break selfishness off of your life like having a kid. When we were little, we heard stories like this. It's more, blessed, it's more exciting to give than receive. As a kid, you're thinking, are, are they high? many I mean, there's a whole lot better to receive than to give. Only when you go to a place of maturity and you have children of your own that you find it is more blessed to give than receive. Fathers are not selfish. Now, let me say this. Teachers and boy leaders are extremely selfish. They look out for me, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. Fathers are never selfish. Fathers give till it hurts. And I'm not just talking about money. It's easy sometimes to give money. It's another thing to give your time and your talent. Hello. It's easy to give money, but it's another thing to give of yourself your time and your talent. Now, let's look at this. Paul addresses this issue also. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. If you want to watch that story on YouTube, it's amazing. Just search Jack Buck, the kid. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Stay with me right here. We're almost done. I know i preach for a while. All right, verse 14. Now the third time I'm ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you for I do not seek yours but you. Listen to this. Fathers will never be into you for what you have. They will be into you because of you. Oh, did you hear what I said? See, it's one thing to see a young talent and try to come up alongside of them. But fathers will never be into you for what you do. They will be into you. You with me? He says, for I do not, I don't want to be burdened to you. I do not seek yours, but I seek you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents, go back but for the parents, for the children. I'm reading a little slow. And I will, ver- I will verily, gladly be spent. Look at this. I will, I will be spent for your souls, though the more by I'm abundantly loved, the less I am loved. Look at what he's saying. True fathers will what? Be gladly spent. What? For the sake of someone else. Come on, y'all. We got to see this in the church. We got to model this we got to be willing to be spent for someone else. That means you take the grace that is given on your life and you use it to influence someone else. This is how increase occurs. You understand this, right? This is how we increase. I can be be depressed and come in here and preach for an hour and leave encouraged, are you with me, on most days. Because the Bible says, "He He who waters shall be watered themselves. What cuts things off of us is when we become the dead sea, when we're just in here receiving like a sponge and nothing's going out. Paul said that a father will be, self- will be selfless and they will be gladly spent for the sake of someone else. Now, I, I, I'm going back to something that happened in my own life. Um, show that first picture right there, John. You'll see where I get my good, good looks from right here. I've shared this. There was my dad. Lost him in 2006. He was 52. All right. My dad was, was, a, was a general contractor, builder, built houses or whatever. All right, you can pull the picture down. You can also see I had hair. Also see I was smaller. I don't know what's happened, but carbohydrates are not good for you. You saw it. And I had Hair. God, I remember the days ahead. Remember I used to use some jail, you know? Yeah. Let us move on. No need to go down memory lane. All right. So my dad was building this house on the lake. I was going by to see him. Now I'm a little older. Grant's a baby. Um, Grant was two and a half when, when, when we lost my dad. But, but he, he had just been born. I wanted to go by and see him. My dad had a lot of issues, but the one thing about it is my dad loved the fire out of me. And there was no doubt that he loved me. My dad was a man's man, hunt, fishing, the whole nine yards. He kissed me in the mouth. It didn't matter to him. I mean, he loved me. I knew that. And where I learned a lot of things that are in my life today is from him. He was very selfless. My dad was not, my dad was not a selfish guy. He was very generous, and he was a giver. He would give the very last thing that he had. I remember being probably John Ben's age, going to the Deer Woods, and we saw this, this mom with two three children. was at the, There was a truck stop down the, where we always turned to go, and we would load up on supplies. And, uh, and so as we was going to the deer camp, the lady's vehicle wasn't cranked. My dad didn't bite out, bat an eye. Goes right in, buys an interstate battery, puts it in that car. That lady says, I can't pay you. He didn't worry about it. That's just the way he lived. You with me? Don't you wish we could get some church folks to live like this? There's a there's yesterday at the ball field, I just heard <clears throat> of something that just happened because it was in our heart to do. But a lady that we know I've, I've carried several miles and um, <clears throat> another's helped. But anyhow, there's just a guy in the community shows up Friday, hands her the keys to a vehicle, says, You ain't got to walk no more. God's doing amazing things, y'all. Don't think I'm just in here harping on something that we ain't seeing happening. This is happening. Come on, somebody. Need a tag and insurance and all that put on. Forgot about that. did not have had the money to do that. There's another businessman in the community. Met him, took a check. Come on, somebody. And said, everything that she needs, put just here's a blank check right here. Just let me know what you filled it out for. This is God helping folks. So when I saw, her, I, I saw her yesterday and I said, I said, you've got to know this, that God's moving on your behalf and she's teaching. This is what she said. She said, since I've been hanging out with y'all, y'all have taught me to expect for something good because I'm God's kid. Come on, y'all. So I go by and I see my dad. I go by and see my dad. And he's building his house on the lake. And my dad was a finished guy, so he did all the trim work inside. And, and so I go by there, and it's probably, I don't know, maybe right at lunch. I think I go by there through lunchtime, swing by and I see him. And he's got his, like his, like his, uh, his fingers like taped up right here. And I'm like, man, he's done cut himself. You know, he's cut himself. He's got his rag, and I can see the blood coming out of his finger. And I said, Dad, I said, You cut yourself? He said, No. He said, I ain't cut myself. He said, The hide's just gone off of it a little bit. And I said, What in the world? But you know, I'm finishing. He had, tooken, he had, he had shot all the crown mold up in that house, and he was running some white lightning and 30-06 down that crown. He was taking that finger right there, and he was rubbing that, all those joints in that house with his finger, and it got the hide. And after I I got back in the truck, tears rolled down my eyes because I just, all I could see is when I was a young teenage boy, I was going up to my dad, dad, you got $20, dad, you got $40, dad, you got $60, dad, we going out tonight, you got $100. And what he showed me was the price of all that money I'd asked from my dad, what it costed him. See, this is only the requirement that the father ever expects of the son is be thankful for the price that is paid before you. Come on, y'all. See, see here's, this is how Hebrews 11 is going to hook up when we learn how to honor a generation that went before us. That's why you will never hear me make fun of any silver-haired, bobby-pin-wearing, come on, something big Southern Pentecostal woman because they paid a price when it wasn't cool to speak in tongues. Hello, when we learn how to honor what's went before us and be thankful for the price that was paid ahead of us. Are you with me now? See, sometimes we think because we got lights now and projector screens, we better than somebody else. I'm going to tell you something. we would never got here had it not been for a generation before us that paved the way and was willing to drive across the tracks to have some church. Come on now. This is it, y'all. You with me now? We learn how to be thankful for the price that's paid because any father that is standing from a place of experience has paid a price to get there. So, in that, I begin to see that, hey man, every time I was asking for something, that it cost him something. Right here, let's finish up right here. Fathers release experience. Teachers release information. But fathers release experience. This is why the Bible says, let the older women train the younger women. We can't even cook biscuits no more. We've lost that. That fell out somewhere. For the most part. We cook them, you know, the kinds that you take the can, split it, roll out, throw them in there five minutes, they come up. But there was a generation that really could cook them. Man, y'all. I I'm, 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 see, I'm, I'm the anointing's left. I'm thinking about collard greens, crackling cornbread, something real. You know what I'm saying? God help us right now, Jesus. Stay, stay the task. This is we're almost done. Father's release experience. See, sometimes when we're training and sometimes when we're teaching, I'm not just talking about in our natural family. I'm talking about when it comes from the youth group to the children's church. We think, why would they tell us like that? Because we're coming from a place of experience. We've been there, bought the t-shirt. So what we try to do is keep a generation from entering into the same pitfalls that we ourselves found ourselves in. But most of the time, here's the struggle when it comes to the sons having to turn their hearts back to the fathers. Mark Twain said this, when he was 15, his dad was the dumbest man he had ever seen. By the time he turned 25, he was amazed at how much the old man learned in just 10 years. Do you think that the old man learned it in 10 years, or do you think he always had it the whole time? He had it the whole time. It's just the perception of the son thought he was smarter than the dad. I got one at that age that needs to be writing for Encyclopedia Britannica right now. Are you with me now? But a father releases experience. This is what you bring to the table. This is not my responsibility in this church. This is the Mr. Tom's responsibility in the church. This is the Steve's responsibilities of the church. Come on sir, so. this is the Audrey, I am Danny, all of us, with experience, bring it to the table. And we begin to put it into a generation that is coming behind. This way we don't lose things. This is one of the reasons why, listen, we've just thrown young kids out here to, to a youth group and we like train them. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says let the older train the younger. Let the young men be trained by the older men. This is just, I'm just talking about real life issues. We ain't just got to train you how to read the Bible. We got to train you how to change a tire. Huh? Change your air conditioner filter. Oh man, come on y'all. Manage a checkbook. Hello? Learn how to be a man. Go cut grass. Oh, I better quit. I'm, I, feel, I feel like that's the spirit of my daddy coming on me right there. I had to calm down. He was hardcore on some things. <laughs> Listen right here. Let's finish right here. Here's what it comes about. Why do you want to get? Give me, a, give me the picture of the boys. Right here. I'm just showing off the greatest kids in the world. This is everything in my whole life right here, man. This is it. Uh, the Bible says this in Proverbs thirteen twenty two that a good man will leave an inheritance to his kids. Not only do I hope to put an inheritance in these three boys, I hope to put it in the lives of several other children in my life. But to leave an inheritance means you've got to get to a place. Listen to me, church. We've got to get to a place, some of us in here, that our hands are not like this anymore. That your hands turn like that. Not saying that we don't need each other. Listen to me. I'm not saying that we don't that we stop being in need. But there comes a point in time that you've got to get grown enough that your hand can do this. We should not be in here at 50 years old needy. Paul said it like this, uh, or the writer of Hebrews said it like this, we'll say it like that, that many of you ought to be teachers by now, but yet you still have someone need of teaching you. This, 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 this uh, of leaving an inheritance is not just, th- that is just not what comes to my mind when I think about leaving an inheritance. Those are the three that God has entrusted me and Catherine to train and equip in our house. But it transcends that. It transcends that. It transcends into my ministry. It transcends to what I'm doing in the community. How are we going to solve a lot of these problems is by the businessmen in this community rising up, taking their place in the marketplace and returning it back to the community. If you see some of the issues that are being tackled today, most of the large issues are not being tackled by the church. Take Seattle, Washington. 8,000 8,000 underage girls are solicited for sex in Seattle a day. Their motels are being used as brothels. Listen to me. You want to talk about the slave issue? There's more people in slavery today than any time in U.S. history. And it has nothing to do about skin color. It has everything to do about the sex trade industry. Uh, the sex trade industry. So what happened in Seattle, it wasn't the church that rose up. It was the businessmen in that community that had enough, that they, they finally got enough integrity and character about it and said, we are sick of our hotels in this community being used as modern day brothels. And they come, up with a, they come up with this thing that the Christian Foundation got behind and they broke the back of that issue in Seattle or made a dent in it. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people with influence in this community that can become the jack bucks in this community and say, hey, kid. There's plenty of kids that are struggling right now in a high school that just needs a jack buck to say, hey, kid, if you want this, if you want another one, do this for me. Get your grades up and this can happen for you. I was over there in the children's church and I had, went and got... Um, $200 and I had them in fives and ones. You know, when you got a lot of fives and ones, it looked like you got something. I pulled out a lot of cash, boy, they were, oh my God, he's rich. So then these kids, this is today's society. You know, when we were little, we just believed in God for a bicycle. You know what I'm saying? Now, kids' Christmas list, believe for, I'm in a Hummer with 22s on it or something. <laughs> Danny, I said, if you could if you could name the books of the New Testament, less than two minutes, give you five dollars. One little girl said that ought to be worth fifty dollars. I said you lost your mind, fifty dollars. But I had one kid; he didn't forget. This Wednesday night he coming, in right the time he coming door. Pastor John I'm ready to say, mine whenever you let to listen." I had some say it within sixteen seconds. The New Testament books of the Bible. Costs $5. Let me tell you this. He said, well, that's paying them. No, listen here. I believe the word of God and get them in however I can get it in them. You with me now? Bill Johnson take his grandkids. He says, this book really impacted my life. Read the book. Come have dinner. At my house, I'll give you $500. What you think? That kid just got motivated. You ain't got a quiz on it. I just want you to read the book, because you will never steal the words that's been sown into their heart. That's the power of the word of God. It does not return void, but it will set out to what you sent out to do. And it may be years down the road that that kid may find himself in trouble, but they will remember the word that they read, and they might the long after they forgot the five dollars, they will not forget the word that's been sown into their life. Now, we all have got to be thinking about where we're going to make a deposit. You hear me? And you can't wait till you're 40 or 55. You got to make the deposit now. I'm super proud of you guys for what you're doing Wednesday night. You, I'm telling you right now, you ought to see this happen over there. We got 97, 97 kids in chairs over there. 22 large pizzas went in the blink of an eye. It was like the rapture of the church. In the twinkle of an eye, it was gone. Left the earth. 22 large pizzas. All I got was a smell. No carbs that night. You with me? And if you really want to see prayer happen, think about 100 kids being shut up in that building. And when we see a storm cloud come up, kids are bound right now with the spirit of Elijah on them. Father, we command this storm to go around right now in Jesus' name. Because they know if it rains, we all got to stay in the building. So everyone, we want not mind shooting basketball. You know what I'm saying? Running. Run as much as you can run. Two, two and a half jars of Culligan's waters. I said we're gonna fix this water issue. Two and a half Culligan jars gone. Two and a half Cull. I ain't talking about little bottles. Culligan bottles gone. But we're gonna leave an inheritance, and you take the grace that's been given to your life. And you begin speaking it over them, and we become not a father, but we become fathers and mothers we have missed the mark if we look at John as dad. It has got to be fathers and mothers. I can't raise but so many. But if all of us in here begin to pick two or three, we can raise a generation. Oh my God, that's good. All right. Now, I will tell you this. Hey, turn that instrumental on or something right, give us something to write out on. It's 1206. I'm going to get rode up for going too long I'm playing (laughs) you good All right. everybody in, in this room I would encourage you this if you look in the mirror and you're the one speaking into your life I challenge you you better find somebody that you can trust don't crank it up like that we're good Jesus. You got to have someone that speaks into your life. You got to have someone that can just be the father or the mother. You with me? For me, let me tell you what a father does it quiets the storm, no matter how bad it's raging. I could be in the most turmoil ever, get in a truck and drive to Valdosta or drive to Sparks whenever he would drive to Adel I could pull down that lane to that cabin on Bear Creek, Dale had, and I could lay in the chair for eight hours and hear him talk eight hours. And those that know Pastor Dale know he can talk for eight hours. Kathy come, I come home and she said, "What did he say?" I said, "I don't know, but it was good." You know what Dad does? Cause when Dad stands up in the boat, the storm stops. Come on, y'all. You gotta have that. you got to have that. And when dad says he's proud, it don't matter who else said nothing. It's good. It's good. I just feel like, Father, help us with our speech. Help us to truly honor one another in this room. Because if we can't get it right in here, it's never going to be right outside of there. It can never happen in a community till it can first happen in here. We cannot produce out there what we cannot have in here. Same way with our lives. You could never produce on the outside what not does not exist on the inside. You've got to find someone. Allow, listen, all of us in this room has been done wrong, but it doesn't mean God does, does away with the system. God has never chose to do away with parenting. That's what he set up in the garden. The whole issue of, they want to go to take it to Romans chapter 1 with the whole issue with two men or two women. You know, you don't, you don't, don't, it didn't start at Romans. It started in Genesis. And God chose a man and a woman to lead a household. Not two women, not two men. A man and a woman to lead a household. Two men can do it. You go produce your baby. Bring him back here. Two, two dudes go produce a baby and bring him back here. Two women go produce. No, you need both. That's what he established. I hope y'all believe that. Not y'all scare me a little bit. We're just going to the Bible in Genesis. But because, but just because parents has been gone wrong doesn't mean that God did away with it. Same way with fathers and mothers in the house. We've all made mistakes. I've made a ton of them. The one that I've had the most influence with in this room over a decade is Matt Smith. He's left my presence and he didn't say it, but I know inside of him I want to kill that joker. But I couldn't be more proud of him today. I love him with my whole heart. Same way with Stanton. I'm never going to wear those pajamas he got on this morning. But I love him. And I'm proud of him. And sometimes I have to come in here and make tough decisions, but I let them know at the end of the day, I'm proud of you. What you guys have done in that building is amazing. And I can tell you this, it's been rough as all get out. But it's going to get better and better and better. Because all they got to know is no one cares how much you know till they know how much you care. When they see, my God, this is for real. When Jamar on looks in the stands and he sees that you drove over an hour just to cheer for him, it means everything. I'm just saying, church, let's all become who God called us to be. Mothers and fathers in the body of Christ. Raise your hands. I want to bless you. Let me tell you this before we leave. I've had one meeting where we called the Sons of Thunder, and this is young preachers that I had the chance to talk to, and we did it out at the cabin. And we got a oversized chair. I guess it's to hold me or whatever, but anyhow. And I instructed Stan when he come in his room, and I see you tell everybody, no one was set at the head of this table tonight. Not me. No one was set at the table at the head of Steve Batts. And no one was sitting in that chair, but Steve. Didn't do that because I had to. I did it because I wanted to. Because we honor. This is the way I live my life. If we had an elders meeting in these five chairs at the table, and Dennis and Steve walked in, me and somebody else is getting up out of the table. Because you got to learn how to honor. This is how we build the culture, y'all. I'm trying to tell you. It's by words that we say out of, each, out of our mouths. It's how we see each other. And, and listen, all of us in here has got a ton of problems and a ton of mistakes. But you've got to be grown enough to see beyond somebody's mistakes. Now, if somebody's mistakes is hurting the environment. We confront them in love. That means we don't go get a posse, but we go look at them and say, You're causing a lot of problems right now. Calm down. But the goal is never to be right and the goal is never to expose. The goal is to fix relationship. Lord, I want to see something. I just want to see a kingdom reality modeled inside of a local body. If we can model it here, it can be done out there. I told Stanton this and I'm done right here. I'm leaving. I said, but you know what? I said, my office is nothing but Sparks and Adel. Your office is the whole world. Look at the world leaders. Just go in there and look at the leaders that that kid has pictures with. Go in his office and look. He's got the who's who with their arm around him. But I said, I'm going to labor my entire life right here in this small community because I believe if I can find breakthrough in a small community, you can take that and go take it to the world. John Adams says, I must study war. And politics so that my children can study mathematics and science. It's a generation that paves the way. It starts laying the groundwork for another generation to get on a highway of express and travel fast. That is our job. But if you take what you've been given and camp out on it and get in the oh bless me club, you will leave missing the mark. The blessing was never intended to hit you. It was intended to go through you. You just happened to be a recipient in the first place it hit. But Jesus had never let what taken. Look, he did not let happen what happened to him in the river Jordan rest just solely on him. He started gathering those whom he chose. He chose two sons of Zebedee. He chose Matthew, a tax collector. He began to choose these different ones. And put his life on the inside of them. Father, I bless his people today. I thank you. This is a great and awesome people. Great and awesome people. They stand before us today, God, in this room. Father, let the Jack bucks rise up to start looking at the kids and saying, Come on, come on. Kid, if you want another one, do this. Kid, I believe in you. Kid, wake up. Father, let fathers and mothers rise in this community that we will begin to attack and begin to tackle the awesome task that lies before us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you all. We'll see you here on Wednesday night. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.